As Christians, we are uh, all about Jesus, and so we go to the Scriptures every week. Uh, We do so because the person and work of Jesus, the redemptive story of God, is most clearly revealed in the Scriptures. This week, our sermon text is from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. It's good to be with you all this morning. Today we are <clears throat> continuing our study in the book of Ephesians through a series we have called A Meaningful Presence. And the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to show how the gospel unites all humanity from all nations, tongues, and tribes into a new humanity, the church. And at the end of his letter, Paul describes the church as a people created and sustained in a sevenfold unity when he writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so over the course of this series, we're answering the question, how can we as the body of Christ, live as a united and renewing presence in our city for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. And this week what we're talking about is what it means to be united in one spirit. As Brandon just read in our text today, what Paul describes as having taken place through Christ is nothing short of miraculous. God the Father 
through God the Son, has broken down what separates humanity in order to unite and create a new undivided humanity. This new people have access in one spirit to God the Father. And so Christ's death on the cross breaks down not only what separates man from God, it breaks down all walls that divide the human race. Now the oneness that God wrought by the work of Christ and his spirit was not a new idea for Paul. Because from the beginning of scripture, the Bible tells the story of the human race united in creation, falling into division through sin, gloriously reunified through grace and commissioned in that reunification to work for the renewal of the world. That is who we are. And that's what we're talking about today. But to better understand what Paul is saying and where he gets this from, we need to look briefly at how we got here and how he got here. So, What we're going to do this morning is to walk through initially some of the significant works of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament that actually leads leads Paul to say what he says in Ephesians 2. It shows us where, where Paul gets this from and really what we are all caught up in. In Genesis, we see the creation of humanity in Adam and Eve, created in perfect unity with God, with one another, and at peace with the world around them. They were commissioned by God to take this garden that was entrusted to them and to build it out into the rest of the world. And though created in unity, sin disrupted and divided them. Eve fell in deception, Adam fell in abdication, and he blamed God and Eve for the whole thing created to become one flesh, Adam and Eve actually were estranged from one another, and the glorious building project entrusted to them was halted. But God made a promise that day that a better Adam would come, would would succeed where they had failed, would reunite what had been separated by sin, would rebuild what sin had ruined. But the division birthed in the garden was handed down like an inheritance to all generations. Men, women, and children continued in their alienation from God and one another, and and, and the division just worsened. And then in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel was built, and as Scripture says, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So united together in language, these men and women joined in an immense building project to create both a city and a tower so they would be secure in their human power And they could see to it that humanity would not be separated again. They tried to build from earth back to heaven. And yet God knows that the unity our world needs goes beyond shared language and vision. He knew that we needed greater repair 
And so God frustrated the builders by coming down and confusing their language. He scattered them, and the building of this single world empire was also halted. And I think even today, we we understand the impulse to build. Because I think that we believe that something must be inaugurated in order for the divisions of our world to be addressed and healed. And the Scriptures assure us that God most certainly is a builder. And as the story of God's promise to rebuild unfolds, we see whispers of what's to come as the Spirit of God comes upon different members of God's people to begin rebuilding a house for the nations but one very different than Babel, one actually completely unlike Babel. Abraham, Moses, Miriam, Gideon, Esther, Samson, Deborah, David. Spirit of God came upon these individuals and others to equip them as kings and judges and prophets and priests for particular tasks, for ministry within the people of God. Because the Spirit's work throughout the Old Testament was this, to equip the leaders of God's people for the building of God's people. And as the Spirit worked throughout the Old Testament, God delivered grand promises through his prophets, like Ezekiel and Joel. He showed Ezekiel this valley of dry bones and made this incredible promise to bring a miraculous resurrection whereby he would place his own spirit inside every one of these people, restoring them to new life and unity with him and one another. But how is this going to happen? He tells He tells his people through Joel the prophet that he, God, his spirit, who has already been working at different times and places in the people of God, would be poured out in a monumental way on all flesh. And following the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, this promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. This was the inauguration that the world was waiting for, the inauguration that the world needed. Because Pentecost marked the beginning of a new creation and a new humanity. Because wherever the Spirit hovers, new creation is coming. Think about the waters in Genesis, the Spirit hovering over them, new creation is coming. The the Spirit hovering over Mary as she's pregnant with Jesus. New creation is coming. The Spirit whooshing through the room with the disciples hovering over them in flaming tongues of fire. New creation is coming. Pentecost is a unification of the separated families of humanity. And it's not by human will, not through human effort, but by the Spirit of God poured out like life-giving rain to a drought-ridden world. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. 
that men, women, and children of all races, of all colors, of all tongues, of all nations, once strangers to God, once strangers to one another, are invited to become full members of God's house and home, fellow citizens of one another, of a new nation under a new king. But even more, even more than members, this new people once distant from the temple of God, the place where he dwelled, are brought near and are made the new temple of God. A glorified garden temple with God's apostles and prophets as the foundation and Christ as the cornerstone of this new structure. We are being built up as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit to become more and more a unified and renewing house of prayer for the blessing of all nations as we welcome all nations to gather around the table together. It's the Spirit who reestablishes the unity that was lost. He creates, he builds, and now, instead of just coming upon one person at a time, he now lives in every member of the church, of the body of Christ. And through that, he has made us fellow priests and prophets, kings, invited to join him in his great construction of this temple of the Lord. So very much like Adam and Eve, we have, we have been welcomed to become co-regents, co-rulers with the Spirit and are now working in God's house to see it built to the specifications of God's Word. Unified in the Spirit as a new people, we work for the unity and renewal of the world through the building of the church. And so what does, what does that look like? It's a good question. What does it look like for us to pursue unity as we join God in his work of building the church? First, I think first we have to accept the fact that we can't build a flawless community. We try to, we end up with Babel or another version of it. I know that we like to think that we can create a flawless community, but we really can't. As, as Brandon was saying earlier, the problem isn't out there, it's in here, and we're in here. But also, even though we can't build a flawless community, we, we can't just sit back and just talk about unity. Especially during a season of COVID and racial inequity and volatile political atmosphere, as a church, we can't just say unity over and over and over again and expect that to be the only thing that explains our unity or that substantiates it. If you ask me to describe what it's like to be in covenant marriage with my wife Kimberly, and I just said over and over to you, we're married, it doesn't, it doesn't answer the question. What's, what's covenant marriage like with Kimberly? We're married. I mean, we're so married. We're like really married. I remember when we got married, we're still married. It, it, 
again, it's, it's funny, but it doesn't answer the question. It doesn't give us any substance to, yeah, but what substantiates your marriage? We have the invisible yet very real unity with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, but we are also working together, together, to make that union visible to ourselves and to others. When, when Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed that the church would be unified enough that the world would recognize unity. So our unity can't be discernible only by faith because Jesus expects the world to be able to discern it. If our unity doesn't show the world that the Father sent the Son, then it isn't the unity that Jesus prayed for. We're, we're called to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Paul puts it in chapter 4. And part of the way that we do that is not only to proclaim the unity that we do have in the Spirit, absolutely, foundationally, but also to repent and confess of the ways that we contribute to disunity. It, it has to be said, though we are sometimes faithful to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there are other times when we grieve the Spirit with our hatreds and our divisions and our prejudices. So it is important for us all, individually and corporately, to do some self-examination. Where do we contribute to disunity? And I'm in this with you as well. Where do we contribute to disunity? Where are we proud? Where are we harsh? Where are you harsh? Where are you impatient? Where do, your, where do your prejudices lie? Are we unforgiving? Are we lying? Are we hiding from one another? Where are we practicing sin and where are we sinning against others? I know it's a risk and I know it's uncomfortable, but maybe what we should do is, along with self-examination, we should go to friends, roommates, spouses, children, our children, and say, have I been absent as a friend? Have, have I created distance in our relationship through sin? Have I sinned against you? maybe even to our coworkers, have I made your job more difficult? Have I contributed to trust gaps between us? Husbands and wives, ask your spouse honestly, do, do you feel welcome in the home that we share? Is this a safe place for you with me? I know in a church this large, fights and, gosh, and disagreements, arguments 
large arguments, huge arguments, arguments, should we tell someone about this, happen in a church this size? They happen in the church. <laughs> but maybe the way that we can seek unity by bringing those things out into the light, into one another. The past six months have been a season of testing and humility for us all. I know that we've said that a few times. And in seasons of testing, we're, we're all exposed. We, we can be tempted to think that COVID and racial inequity and a, a political atmosphere that's volatile we, we can look at all of that and say, okay, all of this has created anxiety in me. It's created anger in me. C could we also consider the fact that maybe it just exposed anger that was already there or that it exposed fear that is already there? We could hide. We, we could lie. We could ignore it. But in all this exposure, united to Christ who bears our punishment who bears the curse for us, it could be a season where actually we're, in our exposure, we're freed to confess. We're freed to, to not pretend who we are, but confess who we are. To ask for forgiveness from one another, to pray for one another, to seek reconciliation in friendships and relationships because when we confess and apologize, when we come out into the light with one another, when we pray for one another in response, this is our unity on display. This is our unity made visible. This proves, this does prove that the Father sent the Son because we do trust that he bore our punishment. When Jesus exhorts his disciples to unity at the Last Supper, it's a unity of loving one another that he's chiefly concerned with. And, and I know that we've experienced the failures of loving one another at Sojourn. I know that we've experienced the failures of loving one another in the church. So in acknowledging that and confessing that, can we also ask ourselves, in our parishes, in our homes, individually, with roommates, with spouses, with children. How can we make our love for one another more visible? How can we, yeah. Maybe a good question that we should be asking in our parishes and in our homes with our roommates and spouses and friends, how, how can we make our unity with Christ and one another visible to our neighbors? How can, we, how can we serve one another with the gifts that God has given each of us? Because part of our visible unity is that self-sacrificing service. We serve each other, we, we listen, we encourage, we confess. We esteem one another.
When was the last time that you sat with a friend or your spouse or pulled one of your kids into your lap and just esteemed them, honored them, said, this is what I find beautiful, lovely, honorable, praiseworthy in you that God has bestowed, a gift of grace. Do you know, do you know in that moment what we're doing? We're, we're joining in the triune life of God as the Father honors the Son and the Son esteems the Father and the Spirit glorifies the Son and we join in that when we do that with one another. We embody the unity of the triune God as we esteem one another, as we listen to one another, as we encourage one another, as we sing together, as we eat at the table together. All of these things part of our visible unity. We read scripture together. We greet one another in psalms and hymns because we've gathered around the word and the hymns and songs of God have been placed in our mouths and we speak those words to one another. Even when we confront or rebuke or correct, it is a display of our unity because we believe that much that the Father sent the Son. So we take each other's actions and lives seriously. And it means that we can continue to build relationships with our neighbors and pray for peace and justice in our world. Sojourn, we're, we're, we're all called to labor and to build this temple of the Lord. But we're also, we also need to see its current appearance in terms of its future fulfillment. This is the new building, but when we first looked at what this building would look like, when we first saw the models and drawings of 625, it, when, it was, you know, when they finished those things, it looked great. But it, it didn't look like that for a while. <laughs> we need to remember the blueprint but not live in perpetual dissatisfaction toward one another on our journey towards its final fulfillment. We are striving today to be who we will be, and our fundamental unity will always be established in the work of the Holy Spirit with Christ as our cornerstone. And, and we can trust that our oneness in Christ remains true even when visible divisions present themselves. It means that we just don't ignore them. Remember that building projects are messy. Do you remember what it was like around this building while it was being built? There was even like, there was like demolishing as there was construction. Even during some of the construction, mistakes were made and it destroyed maybe part of the building or here and there. Things always cost more than you think they will. Waiting is so hard. We are still the building site. We are not the completed edifice. It would actually be proper for us to hang signs around our necks that just says, under construction. 
And in ongoing construction, there are so many changes. Wings get both added and demolished. That's what God does sometimes. He breaks things down in order to build them back up again. And our life as, our life as the church is a cycle of death and resurrection, of demolishing and rebuilding. But we must recognize that the final building and the final unity is God's work and his responsibility. And so we get to trust him with that and be faithful and patient workers in our small corner of this body. And again, we can't just talk about it, and we can't do it alone. We need one another. We need one another for this work. We have God and one another as we seek to live out this kind of visible unity. And by God's grace, the faithful building that we, that we do together, it will, it will tear, tear down every babble in the world and bring about renewal. Amen. Let us pray. This is from the Book of Common Prayer. O God, Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful, sanctify this congregation by your abiding presence. Bless those who minister in holy things. Enlighten the minds of your people more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Bring souls to the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. And those who are walking in the way of life, keep steadfast to the end. Give patience to the sick and afflicted. Renew them in body and soul. Guard those who are strong and prosperous from forgetting you. Increase in us your many gifts of grace and make us all fruitful in the good works you have called us to. This we ask, O blessed Spirit, whom with the Father and the Son we worship and glorify, one God, world without end. Amen. <laughs>